well. Have we been reminded of who Jesus is, church? I would say so. I'd say so. Which leads perfectly into where we are at in Matthew today. Because Jesus is now about to say, hey, because of who I am, here's what you're all about to do. All right, Jesus, as we've been in the Gospel of Matthew the past couple of weeks, past couple of months, actually, over and over and over again, he's been saying, here's the heart I want you to have. Here's the heart I want you to have. Here's the heart that I am after you to have. Now, now as we move into chapter 10, church, now we're going to get to the action. Now we get to Jesus saying, if you have this heart, here then is what you are going to do. Now, this is a longer chunk. So, some of you heard me practicing in the mic check earlier. I was already apologizing. This is a larger chunk of scripture this morning. So I'm going to do something a little bit different. Rather than read the entire section, uh, I, I'm going to read it in little chunks. And along the way, we're going to look for three things, okay? Now, the list is going to appear behind you. Don't feel like you've got to frantically scribble it all down because you will see it again a couple of times. And they're long lists. But this is kind of like, imagine we're putting a puzzle together. And sometimes you just got to dump all the pieces on the table, sort them out, and then put the picture together, okay? So as we walk through this, this is Jesus for the first time. He's sending his disciples out, and he's saying, this is what you're going to do, right? All these chapters of the heart I want you to have, here's what we're going to do. Three things, three things to pay attention to. What is Jesus calling his disciples to do, right? The physical stuff. How is he calling them to do it, right? Because he's, he's not throwing away that heart piece. And what promises is he going to give them along their journey? So, for each little chunk, pay attention to what is he asking them to do? How are they going to do it? What promise is he going to give them? Okay? So, here's where we're starting. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. All right? What does Jesus ask him to do? Verse 35, we're seeing teach in the synagogues, proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, uh, heal every disease and affliction. Verse 38, pray earnestly for God to send out the laborers into the harvest, okay? So those are some of the things he's asking him to do. How do you do it? Verse 36, have compassion for everyone. Verse 38, pray earnestly. So prayer being both the work and how you do the work. Promises, we don't see any of them explicitly yet, but we're going to get there, okay? So that's the first couple verses in Matthew chapter 9. Move on to chapter 10. Beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, and he called them to his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, 
but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. For truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. All right, so now Jesus is equipping his disciples in word and power. So again, those three things, what are they? First, Jesus, what does he tell his disciples to do? Verse 1 Cast out unclean spirits, heal every disease and affliction. Verse 7, proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Then verse 8, he kind of gives a bunch of little rapid fire ones. He says, uh, healed the sick, raised the dead, cleansed lepers, cast out demons. There's a lot of stuff there. Now if you look at how to do it, Jesus says, verse 1, you're going to do this filled by the spirit. Verses 5 and 6, directed by the spirit. 8 and 10, you're... You're not doing this work to see what you can get out of it, but you're trusting God's provision as you go through it. Then verses 10 through 15, I'm going to circle back around to this one. But you do this through seeking out people of peace and letting the Spirit work. It's maybe an interesting one for us to think about, but we'll come to that one. Seeking people of peace and letting the Spirit do the work. Promises, we haven't, again... None quite yet, although Jesus is kind of saying, the Spirit's going to do this work for you. Don't freak out too much about this. The Spirit will move. So let's go to verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. But brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will raise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved." When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will have not gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough. It is sufficient. It is good, you can say. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So again, Jesus is in the thick of preparing his disciples. So what does he tell them to do? Verses 16 through 20, pretty simple. Whatever the Spirit gives you, share it with others. Always be ready for the Spirit to give you. Always be ready to share it with others. How do we do this? Verse 16, the Spirit's going to give us wisdom. 
verses 17 through 23, we are enduring and trusting God's provision. And then 24 and 25, we're persevering and bearing his image. And I love how Jesus does this. Again, I'll come back to this. But he, he almost tells you that to persevere in something is not just to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. It's that the heart is constant. That what God is after, that transformation, internal peace, keep that going no matter what. And we get our first promise in this section that we will be persecuted. Not one that you typically want to lead with as a pastor for talking about faith. But Jesus says, no, you will face persecution. Look, if our default is not reconciliation... And that is the heart work and the physical work that we're clearly being called to do. We should expect some sort of tension. Right? If the scriptures talk about, hey, there, there is a spiritual world out there that does not agree with the kingdom of heaven. If there are spiritual forces who stand in opposition, should we not therefore expect some sort of tension, some sort of opposition? So Jesus says, this is normal. Okay, You will face this. As part of your faith. Almost done. This is like a thousand piece puzzle guys. There's a lot of pieces in here. We'll go to verse 26 now. Jesus says. So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed. Or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark. Say in the light. And what you hear whispered. Proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body. But cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of much more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So what to do? Share the word of God without fear. How to do it? Jesus just kind of says at all times. There's nothing really specific here. He just says whatever you get, share it. Whatever you get, be bold, share it. How to do it? Just do it promises. There's a couple in here. Verse 26, Jesus tells us, hey, I will make God known to you, right? Like, don't be thinking, oh, I'm not, I'm not really sure. Is this really of God? Is this of not? Jesus says, I will make God known to you. I will reveal these things that are hidden. Jesus then says in verses 29 through 31, you're valuable. You are valuable to God. We'll see how that piece fits in later. And then the last bit he says, and I will acknowledge you before God. Again, that one's also a pretty, pretty big deal. The last little bit of chapter 10, verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. For whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he's a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he's a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one any of these little ones, even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So in the last charge here, be careful to note now Jesus does something a little bit different, right? He's not telling us now to go be the ones bearing the sword. He's not telling us to be the ones turning brother against brother, sister against sister, father against mother. He, Jesus says, I have come to do this work. So after all these things, Jesus says, I'll do this, I'll, you do this, you do this, you do this. Now we get to the part where Jesus says, reserve this for me. So then we get to the promise. Why? Why do we reserve these things for Jesus? Because God promises he'll uphold his justice and his life in Christ. He says, look, if you let me handle this, right, justice, my justice is not going anywhere. Life, my life is not going anywhere. Let me let me keep this. Now, I know this is a lot, and this is the point of the puzzle that is my least favorite part, because you've dumped all the pieces on the table, and now you have to go through and turn all of them over and figure out what's an edge and what's not an edge, sort it by color. Those of you who puzzle, there's, there's different ways of doing it. But if it sounds like a lot, and if it looks like a lot, it's because it is. It's a lot. Jesus is not mincing words. Jesus is not sugarcoating the reality of the life that he has called his disciples to. So now with all the pieces on the table, we're going to put this together into the picture that God has. Father, we ask you to send your spirit this morning because we cannot put this together apart from you. Father, these are these are more, we believe, than just words to live by. We believe that this is more than just a checklist of things to accomplish. That, God, we are stepping in to the life that you have made us for. Father, we praise you that this is made possible through Jesus. Right, That, Lord, we cannot do this apart from you. And we praise you that you've not called, called us to do this alone. Father, that you have, when we, we come to you through faith in Christ, you fill us with your spirit to step into this, Lord. But, Father, we acknowledge to you today <laughs> with so many pieces. Father, there are a lot of different ideas as to how we can try to put this together that we often have lots of conflict and tension even among believers because we, we're not quite sure, should we be about this thing? Should we be about this thing? Father, as we have been seeing in your word in Matthew, it starts with our hearts. And so may we not leave that foundation as we start seeing, then what have you called us to do? And how have you called us to do it? And Father, how have you encouraged us to these ends. Show us how to fit this this morning. In your name we pray. Church, the first piece, if I have to summarize all these commands of what to do, I think it, it's, it'd be fair for us to say life in the spirit brings physical and spiritual healing. If you kind of have to lump all those things into one 
one little summary statement. Life in the Spirit brings physical and spiritual healing. All these charges kind of fit into three different things that we do. The first of these being prayer. Right? It is not an accident that before Jesus sends his disciples out, he reminds them of the importance of prayer. And not prayer as in like, okay, God, you've, you've given me this thing to do. Now I want to go do it. Watch how he shows them to pray here. He starts in verse 37. We pray acknowledging our need for God, right? We say the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. This is not something we can take on ourselves. This is not something that we can, even as a church, even if we, we gathered together, this is not something that we can do apart from God moving first. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So we acknowledge our need for God, and then we surrender ourselves. We say, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, right? It reminds us, God, we cannot do this without you, but God, you have called us to this, right? You, you have made us in your image now filled with your spirit to live this life. So just because we can't do it on our own doesn't mean we just, as Jesus suggested a couple weeks ago, it doesn't mean we sit back and do nothing. Now we are stepping into the life that he has made for us. So we start with prayer. But one of the other things that Jesus comes to time and time and time again this passage is he says, proclaim the gospel. Matthew simply reminds us that when Jesus tells him, proclaim as you go, this is chapter 10, verse 7, proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you remember, this is nearly word for word what Jesus said a couple chapters earlier, this same gospel message where Jesus says, this is who I am, and this is what I've come to do. So as we pray, church, we proclaim. Right, Wherever we go, whatever we're doing, sometimes it's in our words, sometimes it's in our actions, sometimes we're sharing the whole thing, sometimes we're sharing just a snapshot of it. But we are showing others, telling others who Jesus is and what he's come to do. And the last thing he says, and this, this I'll be honest, this is the hardest for me to wrap my mind around, is he calls us to heal. Heal every disease and affliction. The verb that keeps showing up in there is therapeuo. Therapeuo. It's a lot of vowels at the end. But you can hear therapy in there, right? That's where this comes from. It's interesting because that word, it literally means to wait upon. So those of you who are in the healthcare industry know that amongst the many things you do, you are waiting upon people. Right, you are figuring out what their needs are. You're figuring out how to try to put pieces together. But it's a lot of time. And it's a lot of conversations and trying to read charts. And you're getting to know someone. You're literally waiting upon them. But this verb doesn't just mean healing physically. Because there's other gospel writers who use this word to say you're waiting upon God. And so sometimes in your English, it's not translated heal, it's translated worship. So we are not just waiting upon God to do things for others. We are waiting upon God to worship him. Each of these, church, is a, a physical thing and a spiritual thing, right? We physically pray, 
But what prayer does is it kind of brings us into the heart of God. And it teaches us to have a heart for others. If you notice in verse 36, Jesus prays because he has compassion for the crowds. Because they were harassed and helpless. He says, man, the first thing I do when I see someone who is in that spot is I go to prayer. And that's where I start. It is a physical work, right? I'm, I'm praying, I'm talking to God. But it is, it is by all means a spiritual work, church. We are getting into his heart. Proclamation, right? When we're sharing the gospel, it is physical, right? There's things we share. There's truths we want to communicate. But it is more than just getting someone to subscribe to some list. It is a spiritual work that you're bringing healing to them as they're hearing who God is and what he's called us to do. And when Jesus says heal, church, I want to say this again. It's the hardest for me to understand. And for some of you, it's, it's less hard, right? Those of you who have seen healings, maybe been in healing services, you're like, oh, yeah, we see people who can bring physical and spiritual healing, you know, all, all the time. God still can do those works, right? We see in the Old Testament he's called the divine physician. We see miracles done by Jesus and done by others in the New Testament where God gives a gift of healing to someone to heal another person, right? And so this also, when we talk about physical healing, this may be something we're doing in the spirit. For some of you, it's, it's your jobs, right? It, it was amazed when I first came to our church and realized how many of you guys either work in healthcare or work uh, supporting healthcare or just, you know, know a lot about how to take care of people, right? Like, it is your physical job to bring healing to people. So some of you guys do this spiritually. Some of you guys do this physically. All of us, <laughs> at the very least, we can pray, can we not? Can we not go before God on behalf of someone and say, Lord, we see the brokenness in this person. Please bring healing to them. Is that not an act of bringing healing to someone? And when we talk about spiritual healing, what got stuck in my head this week, there's a group of guys that I try to play basketball with on Saturdays. And we went to uh, one place around town to go play. And you have to pay when you go there. And I... I knew that you had to pay. I knew it was $5. I did not know it had to be in cash because there is nowhere on the website that says you have to pay this in cash. So when I show up and the the, uh, receptionist is saying, well, it has to be in cash, my response is, oh, I apologize. I don't have the cash because I didn't know, you know, it wasn't on the website anywhere. And the person responds back to me, well, everyone else has cash. Everyone else knew. And that, like, those two statements, and this is in part some of my immaturity, but I was irritated for the next four hours because of the person's response to me. And I thought, you know, they're, yes, they are technically correct, right? The, and I'm not expecting them to have to be gracious to just let me go play over $5, right? They are technically correct. I should have known somehow, and I should have brought it with me. They did not have to be gracious to me. But that response, in that moment, it just, I mean, you've seen when we respond like that to other people, you may technically be correct, but if you're missing a semblance of a heart of God in there, then it can destroy your day. So 
you can consider when we bear the fruits of the Spirit toward one another, when we're in a situation and we respond with love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, when we, when we show the Spirit to others, that does something to our spirit, doesn't it? That is an act, church, of spiritual healing. You're showing someone, hey, this is what we were made for. This is the life that God has given to us. So again, right, sometimes it is hard for us to wrap our heads around healing because it's, we usually think about it in context of the big healing services. But there are ways that you just in sharing life with others, sharing the spirit of God with others, those of you who it's your, your job to be a nurse, to be a doctor, a physician, all of that, you can bring healing to one another. That is a work of the kingdom. And I love how Jesus, as he's giving these charges, notice who he's giving it to, church. Right, we've talked about disciples, those of you may be familiar, they weren't what we would consider the cream of the crop of humanity. Right? Most of these men had been passed over by the other kids who were, you know, for whatever reason, intellectually more advanced or however the, the Jews were deciding who would get to be picked up by the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, the Jewish rabbis. These men were left behind to work the trades. That's why they were there when Jesus showed up. So Jesus is tell, he's telling you and me, look, we can do this. And this is what work in the kingdom looks like. It is to bring physical and spiritual healing to others. I will say spiritual gifts may kind of shape how you do this, but we are called to this. We bring healing. Now, how do we do this? Right? If we look at the how chart, how do we do this? If I had to summarize it, we would say it is constrained to God's heart. Right? We do not choose how we want to go do about this. It is not a by any means necessary do we bring healing. Every principle that Jesus gives us in this section, as he's telling them to go do these things, they either are designed to kind of box us in to God's heart or to say, do this because this is God's heart for you. So if you look at these, verse 36, we bring healing through compassion. Right? Jesus is motivated by compassion. If we're trying to bring healing to someone and we're not motivated by compassion, it's like trying to soothe the, the crying newborn who knows that you don't want to be there. They sense that. They don't sleep. You don't sleep. It makes everything worse. You have to summon all the courage within you to say, I really want to be here. Even though you're screaming, I really want you to I, like, I, I love you, and I really want you to go to sleep. I also want to go to sleep. They can sense if we're not coming compassionate, they don't receive it. Bringing healing through compassion is part of God's heart toward us. Verse 38, chapter 9. Prayer. Prayer keeps us in line with God's heart. Because, again, if we're surrendering ourselves to him and saying we're not capable of doing this, prayer keeps us in line with God's heart. Right? Then all these verses that talk about Jesus filling them with the Spirit, sending them out in the Spirit, saying the Spirit is going to lead you. Jesus says, again, how you do this? Through the Spirit. This is not a work that we can take on ourselves. This is not a work that we even know how to do. I feel sometimes as a pastor it's tough to talk about how to live out our faith because I'm trusting that the Spirit is going to have to show you physically, practically in that moment this is what it's going to look like. But praise God, 
we're not bound by our own understanding, that we're not having to wait till faith makes sense in order to know what to do with it. Because Christ says, I will send you the spirit, the helper, the advocate, the revealer to you. Verses 8 through 10, we're told we trust God's provision again, not having to do this by our own strength or power. Verses 10 through 15, and this I think is one of the harder ones for us to wrap our heads around. But God works through people. It's really interesting, in the middle of all of this, Jesus, as he's telling his disciples to go out, what does he do? What does he tell them when they get to the village? What do you do? You find a person of peace. My prayer and Abigail's prayer when we pray this passage over you guys is soft hearts. We ask the Lord for soft hearts. Because Jesus is saying right here, if there is not a soft heart, you can't do anything. Because God, when he works, he works through people. And this is not something that Jesus is just deciding to change or that he's introducing as a new thing. All of scripture has pointed to this, right? When, when man falls away from God in the Old Testament and God shows up to make things right, what does he do? He installs covenants through people. He shows up to Noah and says, Noah, here's what we're going to do. He shows up to Abraham and says, Abraham, here's what we're going to do. To Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses. He shows up to men and women in the Old Testament and says, come with me to make things right. And almost always the people go, what? First off, who are you? I don't really know who you are. And second, you want me to do what? We're broken. How? It, it doesn't matter. God shows up and says, I am going to work through people. Then in the New Testament, right here, how has God said, let me fulfill the law for you, right? How has God come to his people to say, here's what it is to be right with me? Is it through a new or better law? It is through Christ, God in the flesh. And Jesus now tells his disciples, if you have seen God work like this, man, that is how we are working too. We are working through people. Church, working through people is the hardest work that you can do. It is a lot easier to just put on your headphones and go get something done yourself. It is a lot easier to just make a computer program to take care of it for you. It is the hardest thing. It is the least efficient, right? The least efficient, the most time-consuming, the most gut-wrenching, the hardest work is to work through people. And Jesus, as he's been telling us, this is a hard work. Right? We are restoring the image of God. Jesus says, this is why I work through people. Why else do we get to that promise that says we're valuable to God? Because God is not just about converts. He is bringing people back to his image. This is why Jesus shows us what perseverance is. It's by sticking to the heart of God. Because if we're persevering and people around us are constantly changing, we are trying to do the same thing over and over and over again, we will wear ourselves out. But what we will never wear ourselves out in, what we will always find life in, is the heart, the person of God. I love how Jesus, he's encouraging us in this. He's saying what you are doing physically, what you are doing spiritually, all of this connects. Paul summarizes it when he says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. 
the how and the what matter. And how they work together, the last bit. If we were to summarize all the promises, we would see it's because life is upheld in Christ. So we bring physical healing, we bring spiritual healing. We do this constrained to God's heart. Why? Because God upholds all of this in Jesus. Looking at the promises we've been given, church, we're told we will be persecuted, right? If sin breaks us apart from God, if there's a spiritual world out there that is working against the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, expect a battle. Expect there to be tension. Expect things to not just magically work. Now, I will be careful. Hold that in line with other truths we see in Scripture, such as our battles are not what? They are not flesh and blood. Because when we feel battles today, man, that's, that's the first place we go, to the flesh and blood. But often, church, our battles don't need more physical work. They need a heart change first, which is what Jesus has been showing us. This is why he promises if it requires a spiritual response, if you really have to know what's the difference between something that's of God and something that's not, how good is it that Jesus promises us, verse 26, nothing that is hidden will not be known. Nothing that is covered will not be revealed. Jesus says, I will make it known to you. I'll make it known. Why? Because the third promise, we're valuable to God. We're valuable to God. If we bear his image, and he desires his image to be sustained, to be upheld, he's going to come. He's going to reconcile us. And we know that this happens through Christ. Christ tells us, I will acknowledge you before the Father if you acknowledge me on earth. That word acknowledge is the word homologeo, which means to say the same word. Jesus is saying, if you profess faith in me as Savior and Lord, then I will stand before the Father and say, this one is with me. Jesus says, not you are valuable to me. I will make God known to you, but I will also stand in your place if you profess faith in who I am. And in this, what do we find? The last section of scripture, what does God do? He upholds justice. He upholds life. So often, we freeze in fear over what we think we will lose on earth. That God shows up and he says, but remember, you cannot lose eternally. You cannot lose spiritually. Do not be so consumed by the fear of what you may lose on earth because you have already won spiritually. You already have everything. My life, my justice, none of this will be overcome. So if we step back from our picture, church, here's what life in the spirit looks like as Jesus is sending out his disciples. He says, we bring physical healing. We bring spiritual healing. We do this constrained by God's heart because we're upheld in Christ's life. And there are many in here who need little bits of encouragement from this. And I, I can't go through all of them, but I want to pull a couple out. For some of you today, you just need to be reminded of what you're called to do. I would say 
watching, kind of watching the world around me as a pastor, and I haven't been doing it that long, you guys know that, but from being a youth pastor, from growing up in church, from watching my ministry mentors, one of the largest, biggest changes that has taken place is that between now and the next time I see you guys again, there are going to be a million different voices that will speak to you that says, this is who you are. This is what's most important. This is how you should be going about this. This is how you should do this, right? They're not all bad. I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest they're all bad. But there will be a million different voices, a different people, different things that will, that will pull for your time, for your attention, for your resources, for your energy. And so as a pastor, one of the primary works for me is to anytime I see you just say, hey, I'm glad you're here. It is so good to see you. Remember the main thing. Right? There are a million things worth doing. There's a million good things worth doing. But we cannot, as we're seeing in scripture, we can't do all of them. So how, how we have to have some sort of framework through how we sift. If this person says we need to do this, this person says we need to do this, this, this group says we should push for this, it, how do we sort through all of this? What is a good work worth doing? Jesus tells his disciples, when you go, here's what we do. We proclaim, right? We share who he is and who God is and what God has done with others. We pray. If the heart comes first, we have to start with pray. We heal. Right, Both prayerfully desiring the Spirit to say, hey, would you give me the ability to bring, if it's physical healing, if it's spiritual healing, if it's a message, something, would you give me something to bring to someone else? Start there. Start there. There are a million things we could do, but Jesus says, look, disciples, this is what I am telling you. This is what life in the Spirit looks like. Start here. If you're not sure or if you're full of ideas, start here. Remember what you are called to do. But some of you need to be encouraged today. Remember how you are called to do it. And I would submit to you this morning, this is where the local church takes center stage. Because if we have to be reminded of how we're going to go about the work, what we need is a group of people who just know us inside and out, right? We need people who will both encourage and hold us accountable. And right, there are a million people out there that we work alongside, but not all of them will know deeply what you're going through, who you are, that they can speak accountability and encouragement to. I was thinking about this week how I have some very good friends in the community, right? They're not here at this church. They're in other churches. They're in other states, I also have some very good friends uh, at Blacksburg Transit, right? These men and women I spend a lot of time with, I spend a lot of time working and serving alongside. But they don't know me like my family does. And so at the end of the day, right, Abigail is going to speak to me in a way that no one else can. She, she's going to know who I am, the things that I struggle with, She's going to be able to hold me accountable and encourage in a way that nobody else can. Church, when we talk about church membership here, I know sometimes church membership can go a lot of different directions. But for us at New River Fellowship, it's kind of like our way of saying, I want to be encouraged and held accountable here. 
I want, I'm okay being known and knowing other people here. I want to encourage and encourage other people here. And so maybe the Lord is putting on your heart, you know what, I need this community. Like if I'm going to be held accountable to the how, then I have to be in somewhere. And I want to submit to you, if you have not joined the church, I'm thrilled y'all are here, okay? And if, even if you don't join today, it's going to be fine, right? I'm still thrilled you're here. But there is, there is something to be said for being to say, I want to be known. I want to be held accountable. I want to be encouraged. We've had three people over the past couple weeks that have all done that. And I totally forgot about one of them last week. Please forgive me, Stephanie. Um, but Stephanie has signed our membership covenant. Mike did a couple weeks before that. Daryl did a couple, sorry, Anglis did a couple weeks before that. Um, just of them saying, you know what? We see the heart. We see the vision. We want to grow with this body. We want to be held accountable to this body, all right? So I would encourage you that, and again, that is one step of being held accountable to the how. But that's what I want to encourage you with today. And lastly, maybe it's to remember the promises of Christ. Maybe there's one of these that stands out to you. You go, oh man, I needed to be reminded of that. Maybe you need to be reminded, look, we will be persecuted. It is not unusual. It does not mean that you are a failure when you face struggles in your faith, right? We face hardship because of sin, as Jesus is saying. That's why we need healing. It does not make you a failure. It does not mean you've done something necessarily wrong because our brokenness means there will be persecution. But maybe you need to remember the promise Christ will make God known to us. If we, if we feel like we have no clue what's going on or what God is doing, remember Christ will reveal God to us. Why? Because we're valuable to God. We are not some pawns in some chess match between God and the devil, right? We are not just these little physical pieces that are getting sacrificed at whim for a God engaged in a spiritual warfare. We are his vessels. We are his image bearers. We are active players in this game. We are valuable to him. Remember the promise Christ will acknowledge us before God. We find salvation in Christ. Maybe someone in here today just needs to find that deliverance for the first time. We need salvation. We can find it in Christ. And for me, this is, this is the one that I need to remember church the most. Because I have a bad habit of what Abigail would call spiraling. God will uphold justice and life through Christ. I get into the vein of, if this happens, well then this will happen, then this will happen, then this will happen. It's never in a positive way. It's not like things get progressively better. It's always to the detriment of whatever situation we're in. Sometimes I forget God upholds his life and his justice in Christ. I don't have to worry about that. So I want us to take a second. There's a lot in here today. So we're going to be still for just a second to see how the spirit is going to move in us to respond. And then I'll pray. And then one of the big communal responses we do together at New River Fellowship is through taking communion. So we'll have a moment to do that. But first, let's just go ahead. We'll bow our heads. We'll close our eyes. Father, thank you for your word. Father, right now I ask, there, there's a lot of different ways we can land the plane, so to speak, with in this. 
And Father, just like when we assemble a puzzle, we're, we're, our eyes are drawn to different things, different shapes, different pictures, different words. Father, to be confronted with the reality of who you are and what you've called us to do is not something we want to just fly by this morning. So if there is something specific that you are asking us to do, that you are pushing us to move in, would you show it to us now? As we are here, Father, in this place, you are a way maker, our promise keeper. You are a light in the darkness. That is who you are. Father, we know your promises still stand. This is our confidence. You have never failed us. Great is your faithfulness. Show us, Lord. We say, Thou Most High, Creator of the ends of the earth, Governor of the universe, judge of all men, head of the church, savior of sinners. Thy greatness is unsearchable. Thy goodness is infinite. Thy compassions are unfailing. Thy providence is boundless. Thy mercies are ever new. Lord, we bless thee for the words of salvation. How important suitable, encouraging are the doctrines, the promises, the invitations of the gospel of peace. We are lost, but in it thou hast presented to us a full, free, and eternal salvation. We are weak, but here we learn that help is found in the one that is mighty. We are poor, but in him we discover unsearchable riches. We are blind, but we find he has treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We thank thee for thy unspeakable gift. Thy son is our only refuge, we declare this morning, Lord. Thy son is our only refuge, our only foundation, our only hope, our only confidence. We depend upon his death. We rest in his righteousness. We desire to bear his image. May his glory fill our minds. His love reign in our affections. His cross inflame us with our passion. Let us as Christians fill our various situations in life. Escape the snares to which they expose us. Discharge the duties that arise from our circumstances. Enjoy with moderation whatever blessings you bring us. Improve with diligence their usefulness. And may every place and company we are in be benefited by us. Thank you, Father God. Amen.